Today's clip is from the Malicious Life podcast, which I got from one of the many heist podcasts that Scott Talinsky likes. I think he does it because he's planning a heist someday and he's just prepping. But I really like this question because it's an unusual one that you never really think about. Can nuclear power plants be hacked? And here he describes the layers of security it takes to get past into the control room of the nuclear power plant. So there is simply no path for an internet-based attacker to send any message into the control network. You know, any breach you hear about, uh, oh, you know, nuclear generator got hacked, blah, blah, blah. Go read that breach very carefully. Everyone that I've seen, they hacked the enterprise network. They did not get into the control network. And there's a reason for that. All right. So that suffices as an explanation for how you might deal with more conventional online attackers. But of course, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. How do you deal with um, a more enterprising hacker, a more motivated hacker who literally shows up in the parking lot of a nuclear facility with an infected USB, a, a laptop? So an offline attack like that, um, the you know I mentioned that the these these nuclear generators they use sort of classic IT and industrial security uh, techniques as well. Um, they do use them. They apply them consistently. They apply them sort of intensely. Uh, you know, concrete example. Let's say we had a malicious individual who had deliberately put a nasty on their USB, and they want to carry that USB from their hotel room into the control network. How's that going to work? And you know, some of this I'm I'm going by by feel. I have only indirect evidence of some of this because I've never set foot inside of the control network of a nuclear reactor. I don't need to be in there. You know, I give advice from the outside. I don't need to be in there. They don't let me in there. That's that's part of it. You know, mere mortals don't get into those places. Uh, you want to get into that place a you know, you've, you're going to have a background check. You might need a, a, a national security clearance. So these people are going to determine, do you have an ax to grind? They determine, not only do you have an ax to grind, they determine, you know, are you vulnerable to coercion? Do you gamble? Do you have debts? Do you have people who can lean on you to do favors for them? Everyone like that is barred from setting foot in the, these, these control networks. And so, A, it's very unlikely that someone like that, that, that anyone who is trusted to set foot in there is going to be malicious and is going to load anything on their USB. So that's the first step. You know, second step is you got to get through physical security. You got to prove that you are who you say you are. And once you get anywhere near the industrial control system, you're not going to be able to carry a USB through there. They're going to ask you to empty your pockets, empty your briefcase. You can't just walk into there. And if you have a legitimate reason for carrying information into the control network. For instance, you might be the systems integrator. You might have a new version of the control system on your uh, USB that you have tested in your lab and now you're carrying into the site. Well, when it's carried into the site, they're going to redirect you. You're, you have no business carrying that into the control network. You can carry that into the test bed if you've got you know, the paperwork authorizing you to bring it in there. And when you bring it into the test bed, you don't carry it through security and plug it into the test bed. It gets dropped into uh, a scanning kiosk, which has got, you know, between usually eight and 12 antivirus engines running on it. You stick the device in, you scan the file or the three files that you need to carry into the test bed uh, for any kind of known malware. And then 
the files that scan clean, you copy to brand new media. It's not a USB anymore. USBs have CPUs in them. There's firmware on those CPUs. The CPUs could be compromised. The USB stick itself, forget the information, the stick itself could be compromised. So you leave these the, the stick behind, you burn the files to a brand new write once CD that's sitting in a stack there beside the kiosk. You carry that into the test bed. And then these people, you know, the, these engineers, they're going to test this software on their own test bed, thank you, for weeks and months, sometimes years, before they trust it to move from that test bed into the uh, the production network. And if there's anything nasty, you know, the, these these test beds are not just instrumented to make sure that the, the software functions correctly, to make sure that the software functions safely. They're instrumented to detect any suspicious functionality in the software as well. And so they don't move anything. And it's not going to be, you know, the systems integrator that moves it from the, uh, the, the test network into the production network. It's going to be the plant's own engineers who do that after they've used and tested this thing for a very long time. So nothing is perfect. The, the goal with cybersecurity here in, in this scenario and in any scenario is to make cyber attacks with serious consequences practically impossible. Not theoretically impossible, that's impossible, but to make these things so difficult that in practice, it just doesn't work. And even the most sophisticated of adversaries really have no hope of messing with the cyber stuff in the most sensitive of the the control networks.